Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Waypoint. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we don't have very many traditions at Waypoint, but there's a couple that we have, and I want to tell you about a couple of them today. Uh, the first is on December 23rd, Waypoint does its Christmas Eve service. We call it Christmas Eve early because it's a day early. And the reason we do that is because we have a lot of people who volunteer here. They give a lot of time. And in order for us to pull off any service, doesn't matter what it is, we're taking the time from volunteers. And so uh, that 24th has been a big day for people to go and be with their families. We value that. We want that to happen. And so we've simply moved that time up to the 23rd. And we do a, a pretty artistic thing. We talk about the Christmas story. We play a lot of music. We do some stuff that's a lot of fun at the end. We have desserts that uh, people have brought that we stay and share and talk for a little while with each other. Uh, we have two of those services, one at 6 o'clock and one at 7.30. In the past, we've done three, but because this is on a Saturday this year, we're thinking a lot of people are going to be traveling, but here's how you can help us. Uh, we hand out tickets because if everybody showed up at the first service, we wouldn't be able to seat everybody. So there are tickets to be um, had out at the information center. If you're planning to come to one of those services, please go, sign your name down, take those tickets so that we can see, oh, we've got a problem. We're going to fill up these two services. Maybe we do need to add the third. Or if we're in good shape and we're going to fill up the two services, we'll be fine. But we'd love for to have you uh, to do that as soon as possible. Go grab those tickets. Another thing we want you to know about is on February 17th, 18th, and 19th, if you have a student in middle school or high school... They're going to do a winter retreat. They're going to Kalahari out in Ohio. It's a water park, um, so they're going to have a lot of fun together, but they're also going to do some spiritual stuff um, with each other as well. So there'll be times for them to sit as a group and talk and think about what's going on in their lives. There's going to be a teacher who comes and helps with some of that. If you haven't heard about that yet, you need to get some information and see what you need to do to get your kids signed up for that because it's going to be a great time. Uh, the last thing I want to draw your attention to is another tradition. We've been doing this for about 10 years now, and I want to explain it. As you walked in, you were given a Christmas um, offering card. Uh, Waypoint takes up an offering uh, from now until the end of the year for uh, a Christmas offering is what we call it. And all of the money that we raise goes towards things outside of Waypoint. None of this money ends up in our general budget ever. Um, and we kind of detail out where we give the money to. One of the big things we do is involved with a food drop. So we'll take $15,000 of that in January. You'll come here and you'll help us pack boxes. We, uh, we work with the Middlebury Food Pantry. They've said, hey, we want these certain items in a box. Uh, we know if we have these plus some other things we pair with it, we can feed a family of four for a week. Uh, we work with Church Community Services out of Elkhart. And the box that they have designed and developed is for shut-ins. So those are people who can't get out very much, and the box is delivered to them. So it has different items in there than the other boxes do that meet those needs. So that's one of the things that we do. You'll see the Salvation Army gets money. We don't give out money here to people who come by. We can't figure out how to screen that, but they do. And we, we refer um, people who have needs to these organizations, Middlebury Food Pantry and Salvation Army. You'll see that we also give to the jail ministry. That's used to buy Bibles and reading glasses for inmates there. And uh, they, they go through a lot, and they need those resources. They're kind of bigger letter Bibles. They have special Bibles that they want to buy, that sort of thing. And then the last two things, uh, the DR, we have been supporting a group down there that's been building a church slash community center in a community in the DR and we've been doing it in pieces by pieces. Well, this, the next piece is going to be the second story that goes on this because they have so many kids coming that the adults aren't wanting to come to this church. And they're hoping to put on a second floor so they can have church services upstairs for kids and also adults downstairs. So that's all stuff that we can be a part of. If we, if we um, raise more than this, we simply give to these same organizations more or we find something else that we could give to. But like I said, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get spent on Waypoint at all. So I hope you'll participate with that. If you do, there's a couple of things you should know. If that's something you're doing, make sure you write on your check Christmas offering somewhere so that we know that amount or that part of that amount or whatever you're giving goes towards that. A lot of people give towards uh, the Christmas offering at our Christmas Eve early service, but you'll still need to write in Christmas offering. Still need to write that in so that we know what's going on. 
I, I hope you'll participate with us. Um, we do some really good stuff here and around the world with that money. Uh, why don't you stand and greet each other, and we'll get started with worship.
greatest ever in the world. We just thank you so much that you loved us that much, that you lived your life as we could never live it, and that you died our death for us so that we could, that we could rise, that we could be a part of your kingdom forever. We just thank you for all that you've done. And I pray that you would just help us to see how great your love is for us through this message and through the rest of this service. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you could please have a seat. Well, as you can see, we have a guest up here who's going to help us out with a song. His name is Isaac. He was here a few weeks ago and did a reading, a very fast reading, and uh, did a great job. And so he's going to help us do a song for you called The Kitchen Sink by 21 Pilots. After me of my catastrophe, I'm a kitchen sink. You don't know what that means. Because a kitchen sink to you is not a kitchen sink to me, okay, friend? Are you searching for purpose? Then write something, yeah, it might be worthless. Then pay something, then it might be wordless. Pointless curses, nonsense verses. You'll see purpose start to surface. No one else is dealing with your demons. Meaning maybe defeating them could be the beginning of your meaning, friend. They will play a game and say they know what you're going through And I try to come up with an artistic way to say they don't know you And neither do I So he's a prime example of a stand-up guy Who hates what he believes and loves it at the same time He's my brother and his head screwed up, but that's alright Time is momentum the moment when I'm living and I'm winning Momentary sin and moment passing after a moment Tree beginning moments, mad memories Pretending enemies, a friend of me sending me straight to bend me My bad behavior, but I better, could have better, better man Copy and paste and copy and caught me Better rhymes bother me the better the rhythm, the better I am But a better battle with them, better I am Gambling man, better, better I am a gambling man I am
It's a Christmas song. I'll get back to why it is later. Uh, we're, we're starting a Christmas series this morning, and you might think, well, yes, of course we'd be starting a Christmas series. It's the Christmas season. And I would tell you, I think that's one of the terrible reasons to do a Christmas series. Um, there is a been there, heard that sort of thing that goes on in our culture. When you think that you've um, heard the same stuff before, you're just going to hear the same thing again, you have the ability to show up in person, but to be very far away in your mind, checking off lists or thinking of what you'll do or all of that sort of thing. I actually think it might be beneficial to do something like, hey, let's do Easter at this time and really throw you off. I think that would be helpful, but we're not doing that. We're doing Christmas for one reason. Uh, we want to talk about the Christmas story because it was the beginning of everything changing. It was the lightning strike before the thunder showed up. A baby came to earth, a baby unlike any you had ever seen before. And the flash of that moment would show up in the thunder later as he lived his perfect life, died on a cross, resurrected from the dead, established a church that go, would go on to change everything. It would go on to change the world as we know it. So maybe it's a little frustrating that that story that's so important has become a marketing ploy for most people now. It's just the shopping season that we all think about, and it's busy, and we're kind of pulled into that. And, and maybe you uh, don't feel like getting into the spirit of it because of all that, but I think there's some things to celebrate. And part of what allows us to celebrate is to grab onto some key parts of the story that while all the craziness is going on around us, if we keep that in focus, this season could still be something important and valuable. Well, what I'm holding on to this year is the simple idea. Jesus was born into a mess. And I got to tell you, it's comforting. It's comforting because when I look at my, my own life, when I look at my family, when I look at my friends, when I look at our community and our nation and our world, I think saying that it's a mess is a bit underselling it. But I think the same thing could be said for when Jesus chose to come. The cards were stacked against him in a significant way, and he still chose to enter that mess. And I'm hoping over the next three weeks as we talk about this story in a different way, give you a different lens to look through, that you'll be able to put your hope in this story that Jesus, of, of Jesus coming to the earth and starting everything all over again. Um, Isaac just crushed that song. Uh, they were going to have me do that. Um, okay, so it's obvious they, they weren't, right? I can't even think that fast, let alone talk that fast, right? Uh, love that song, though. I love that song. Um, it builds towards the end of it where you hear um, the words, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone, and then all of a sudden, don't leave me alone. Where does that turmoil come from? Well, that turmoil comes from um, the, the rest of the lyrics that you saw in that song. This person is trying to find a sense of purpose, and they're, they're finding themselves wrestling with stuff that's in their mind and stuff that they feel like they're torturing themselves with, and it goes over and over and over, and he actually describes it as it's like it's thrown in the kitchen sink, which is something that we understand. It's a phrase we use. You throw in everything plus the kitchen sink, and that's what's running through his head. I actually want to show you that line of the song because it caught my attention for a couple reasons. One, here it is. I'm a kitchen sink. You don't know what that means because a sink, kitchen sink to you is not a kitchen sink to me. And in his case, he's in this song, it's right. The stuff that he's battling in his mind, that he's running through, running through in his mind, that's causing all this turmoil, probably is different for you than it is for him. But the reason this, the reason this line caught my attention in the song is this has become the standard for spiritual thought in our culture. Th this is it. Stuff that happens for you is different than what happens for me. What's right? I don't know what right is. What's right for me is what's right for me. What's wrong? I, 
Whatever's wrong for you is wrong for you. Nobody can tell you one way or the other what it's going to be. And this kitchen sink type thinking has caused all kinds of problems in our culture where people are adopting spiritual ideas and thoughts, even in the church, that are out in left field. And it's because it's a spiritual mess. Oddly enough, this is not new. It's not new thinking. It's not a new struggle. This was going on when Jesus chose to come as a baby. And oddly enough, we get introduced to it in the scripture in a really unique way. I want to read it to you. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1, we find that this kind of thinking is embedded in the Christmas story this way. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. There it is. Now what's odd is this has become kind of a read-over verse for us. It's, it's got good background, we think. Gives us some understanding of why Joseph and Mary were doing what they were doing. They were on a trip, that sort of thing. But the people um, of Jesus' time, the people after this was written who would have read this, would have understood that they were not being given just a little bit of background here. They were, they were given a chunk. They were given an understanding of what was going on, and they would have understood that they were talking about a spiritual mess that was the Roman Empire. And despite the spiritual mess that was the Roman Empire, instead of running, instead of going, oh, bad timing, Jesus stepped into that. He stepped towards it. He embraced the mess that was there. And we get that in these simple little words, in those days, Caesar Augustus. In fact, I want to tell you right now, that's as far as we're going to get today. And next week, we won't make it out of this verse either. There's that much here to talk about. And uh, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to help. I want to help you understand some of the cultural background of what was being communicated that everybody who would have read that would have understood, would have known what was going on as soon as they heard the words Caesar Augustus. And um, they, they, they would have had pictures in their mind. Um, some of them would have lived during the time of it. Many, it would have been recent history for them. And they would have looked at this and said, oh, Caesar Augustus, we know exactly what this means in terms of the spiritual mess that the world was at the time. What's going to be interesting, I hope, is that you're going to see um, that this still matters today. It can still touch our lives today. And I think um, you'll come to the same conclusion that I did. I don't think Jesus' coming during the time of Caesar Augustus was a coincidence. I, I think there, um, I think uh, there was such a huge mess that it just made sense for Jesus to step into that. Now, in order for me to tell this story properly, I've got to give you one detail. Uh, Caesar Augustus was, um, Augustus was not his name when the story begins. His name is Octavian. And uh, so, so when you hear me start, I'm going to talk about Octavian um, quite a bit, and then we'll get to a place where he's going to change his name, and we're going to explain why he chose to do that. And hopefully by the time we get there, all of this stuff will start being pieces that make sense, okay? So we're, we're going off of, in those days, Caesar Augustus. So here we go. Julius Caesar had a problem. He had uh, power, he had possessions, and he had title, but he had no heir. So if he were to die, everything that he had worked for, his legacy would be lost. Uh, he didn't want that to happen, and he was trying to reform the Roman Empire in some pretty difficult ways, which end up being obviously difficult. He was assassinated. And upon his assassination, they read his will. And for the first time, Octavian discovered that he was adopted by C Julius Caesar. He didn't know that until that moment. Not only did he not know that, he then realized that he was offered the opportunity to step into the role of Caesar because of that. He's 18 years old. Um, he's given counsel 
don't do this, you can't handle it. This is too much responsibility for a person your age. He ignores the advice and steps into the role. Initially, the Roman Empire is divided in a triumvirate. There's three different people who kind of split up the governance of Rome. And all this does is cause infighting. You know, maybe you recognize it as civil wars, power struggles, all kinds of stuff that would threaten Octavian holding on to power. But he was a pretty shrewd military guy, and even better, he had some friends who were dynamic military leaders who stayed loyal to him. And for a period of 13 to 14 years, it it was going to get rough. It was going to be a bumpy ride. But he proved to be a pretty good politician, too. And one of the things he did two years into being named Caesar, so now he's around 20 years old, maybe 21, we're not sure. He, um, he decides to use the Roman superstitious beliefs that they have. Rome uh, worshipped everything. They had three main gods that had temples in every city. They were prescribed to be built in a certain way, in a certain place, in every city. You knew exactly where they were, and you knew exactly what gods that were there. But there were plethora of other gods that you would worship. And he knew this. And so when something happened in 42 BC, he decided he would take advantage of it. Halley's Comet streaked across the sky. We know it's Halley's Comet because you can actually um, figure out when it was its timing. You can time it back. This is exactly what it was, but, but Octavian didn't say, look, Halley's Comet. Instead, he said, look, that's Julius Caesar Um, taking his place in the heavens as God. And he asked the Roman Senate to decree that this this was true, Julius Caesar was a God, and they did. He's a pretty smart guy, because as soon as they did that, this was his line of reasoning that he used um, for everyone. If Julius Caesar is a God, that means... I'm the son of God on earth. Now, listen, that might seem a little weird to you. He's, he's been adopted. By the way, Julius Caesar was his great uncle. It wasn't even his uncle. This is far removed. But in this culture, adoption is like blood. It's why in the scriptures, when the scriptures say you're adopted into God's family, it's a big deal because they considered it just like a blood relative. And so when he reached back and he said, I'm the son of God. He started declaring himself as this around the empire. Like, I deserve some level of worship and adoration because of my position. It didn't stop there. During his time as Caesar, he greatly expanded the borders of the Roman Empire. Uh, He was was pretty pretty, uh, brutal, actually. In the 14-year period, 13-year period, um, where there was some civil war, he actually defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra and took all of Egypt under his personal control at that time. He expanded into, you can see the light green places. Um, He expanded into Central Europe, very bloody, northern Spain, um, all of it by landmass. He almost doubled the size of Rome in his tenure, which is um, close to a little over 50 years, the rest of the green, the dark green, would take the Roman Empire another 100 years plus to add all of that territory. So this guy was a master tactician, and, and he killed a lot of people to expand his borders. But this is what's fascinating about the story of this guy. Um. Although he's killing all of these people and expanding these lands, one of the things that he did was around 31 BC, he brought an end to a lot of the infighting that was happening in the Roman capital, the civil wars, all of that kind of stuff. And and because of that, he started to experience a level of peace at the Roman Empire, um, at the capital. Also, there were uprisings that had happened during his tenure that he was so brutal with, the put-down of those um, rebellions were so brutal that everybody else stopped trying to rebel. It wasn't worth it to have everybody killed. 
And so what they started to say was that he had brought about a level of peace. Starts consolidating power in 31 BC. By 29 BC, he issues this decree. He's the son of God on earth who has now brought peace. He's the son of God who's now brought peace to the whole earth. This is is the message he communicates about himself. Now listen, if you were a good Jew, you would have hated this. Because you knew the only reason that there was peace is because you were afraid to rebel. You were afraid to push back against what was going on. And this guy had brought about his peace through killing and bloodshed. He had defeated the other two people that he had been sharing power with. And now he had it all. And because he had all the power and he was in control, he claimed that he had brought peace. Fascinating. Well, the story gets better. Let me just review the timeline real quick. 44 BC, Julius dies. Name's in the air. He decides that Julius is a god in 42 BC, declares himself the son of God. 31 BC, consolidates power. 29 BC, the wars end, the uprisings end, and he declares himself the bringer of peace to the whole earth. And in 27 BC, he decides to give himself a new name. Instead of Octavian, he would be known as Augustus. You know what Augustus means? The exalted one. The exalted one. This guy wanted to be known as a god. In fact, he um, positioned himself for this in a lot of different ways. During his reign, 82 temples were repaired around the Roman Empire that were used for worshiping any number of gods. It didn't matter. He wanted to be known as the person who allowed worship of gods. Um, he, he made sure that people understood his, his rights, so he released his fasting habits and his spiritual practices to the public so that they would know how pious he was, how exalted and great that he was. He had, he has got this kind of thing going. I'm the exalted one. Son of God, bringer of peace to the earth. It's better. 8 BC, before Jesus is born, he changes a month to be named after himself because he's so awesome. Right? How many of you have been born in the month of August? Could you raise your hand right there? Yes, you have Augustus to thank for that, right? And before you feel bad about it, I got to tell you, I think you dodged a bullet because look at what the old month was named. Not lying, right? Not lying. You'd never live with that, right? So you you dodged the bullet. You did okay there. Uh, But listen, this guy's on a roll. After Jesus is born, Jesus will be a teenager when this happens. Uh, It's a couple years before Augustus dies. He is named the high priest of the Roman temples like the chief guy, and upon his death, it's not a two-year wait, there's no, there's no delay, the Roman said it immediately declares him to be a god. Now, I've been um, thinking about this a lot. If, if you were the real son of God, who intended to come to earth to give mankind real peace. You were truly the exalted one. Uh, and look at the comparisons. I mean, you can see. You can see. Uh, these, are the, these are the kind of things that Jesus came and did, said about himself. Would this be a good time to show up or a bad time to show up? I mean, would there be too much confusion if you showed up and started claiming the same kind of things that somebody else was claiming? Would there be misunderstandings so that when you would say, hey, I want to bring peace to mankind, somebody would look at you and say, great, how many are you going to kill? 
What's your agenda? Would, would it be the best time when the other person who's claiming these things about them is emperor of Rome and you're a small baby born into a poor town outside of Jerusalem? Why would you do this? Why, why would you risk the message being diluted or missed? Right? Wouldn't it just be safer to push back and say, I'm going to wait for this to pass? I have a theory, which means I could be wrong. Uh, the scripture doesn't say this anywhere. This is just um, having thought about this a lot. This is just an opinion I have. I think Jesus was drawn to this, drawn to show up at this time. Why? Um, because one of the best ways to detect a fraud is to hold the authentic up next to it. And I think Jesus was going to win every time. And despite the spiritual mess that was the Roman Empire, Instead of cowering from that, instead of waiting and saying, it's too messy, it's too difficult, it's too hard, Jesus stepped into that, born into the middle of that mess to make a difference. Now, here's the thing. Although it's different, I, I would say uh, we've got a spiritual mess on our hands right now. There was a survey done in 2004 uh, they looked around the globe and uh, tried to detail the number of religious groups that existed. They identified 19 that they considered major groups. These have, um, a couple of them have billions, uh, many of them multiple millions, but they found 19 groups that had large chunks of people and a large amount of influence, 19. Outside of that, <laughs> outside of that, they found 8,180, oh, 4,000, I got the numbers all messed up, 4,180 other religious groups. These are spiritual practices. These are different sets of beliefs that they believe in different gods or different things all around the world right now, which in the past wasn't that big of a deal. But in our world, what that means is you can find out about a lot of stuff with a click. And it's caused a whole lot of confusion in our world. It's, it's worse than that, though. This same survey looked at the 2.1 billion people who put themselves under the umbrella of Christianity. And what they found was that there were 34,000 varying groups in that umbrella alone. Different practices, somewhat different beliefs who arrived at some different conclusions, way to do things, 34,000 you want to know why there's so much spiritual confusion in our culture? Because they look around and they're wondering, how in the world could I find what's right? All of these people are trying and they can't figure it out. And so the spiritual mess has grown and magnified. I mean, it is crazy. Mike did a service here um, earlier in the summer where he talked about um, who's the wacko guy calling himself Jesus? Kanye West, right? Kanye West, I'm Jesus. Yeah, you are, right? You, we have scientists out there who are giving their opinion about what you should believe spiritually, trying to prove a negative that God doesn't exist, which isn't even, it's not even a scientific thing that you do. And yet it's an active thing. And right now in our culture, the highest number of people, Pew Research is reporting that there's a group of people that they're classifying as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and that they have decided they have no spiritual affiliation whatsoever at all. It's the highest it's ever been. It's 25% of our culture in the United States has arrived at that number. I, I wish the spiritual confusion weren't inside the church, but it is as well. A lot of the stuff that they're finding, the same kind of feedback they're getting is happening in the same numbers with church people. Get this, 
40% of U.S. adults are convinced that every religion, all of those, are all worshiping the same God. It's the same thing. Those same surveys are showing up with church people as well. And so it's a little disheartening. Like we're, we're coming into the Christmas season, right? And you look around and you see the messes, the spiritual messes in your own family, in the lives of your friends, in the lives of your coworkers, in the lives of your neighbors. And it's tempting to think it's too far gone. It's just going to get worse. I just need to hold on until I can get out of here. But, but I want to tell you right now, God had a different plan. You see, when the authentic showed up, what he did is he lived in a way that his love was different than what Augustus had. That his justice was different. That he, he did it with forgiveness and mercy and grace. He did it with a sense of righteousness that Augustus couldn't ever touch. And the authentic put the fake to shame. And instead of Jesus backing away from the mess, he stepped into it, embraced it, knowing that the authentic would always win. Church, listen. It's Christmas. We're celebrating this fantastic entrance of Jesus on the scene. But he has entered your heart with a desire that you would become an authentic carrier of him in the world that goes into really messed up places, unafraid, unintimidated, not scared, not defeated. And we hold up an authentic Jesus in our world that reveals what's true, what's right, and what's good. And instead of looking around at our world that is a mess, it is, and being defeated, I hope you'll understand that the seeds of the Christmas story were sown in that very environment and that what Jesus saw was an opportunity, an opportunity to be the authentic representation of these things that people long for he changed the world, flipped the Roman Empire upside down. That's still possible because we are carrying that kind of Jesus with us. We're partnering with him. So this Christmas, as you go into these places that are sometimes difficult, we have difficult things happening in our own family. But I have a sense of hope. Because what I'm taking into those difficult places, into those difficult moments, I'm taking a Jesus who loves, who forgives, who believes in justice and righteousness, and who's unintimidated by the messes. Maybe it's time for you to make that choice too. For this story to bring you a sense of hope and celebration that the battle is not over. Jesus was born into a mess and he's not afraid of ours here and now. Let me pray with you. God, my heart's uh, quiet. Because when I say um, I think there's a mess, I actually have people in mind that I love and care about, that I think have uh, bought into this kitchen sink spirituality of our day and age. It's whatever you say it is. It's whatever I say it is. It doesn't matter. And it hurts to watch um, some of the choices that people make when that's happening. And we're quick to want to give up and run away or avoid those things. 
But I ask that you would give us the courage to follow after you. Instead of to run from the mess, to embrace it, to go towards it, to step into it with courage. God, will you empower the people of this church to represent you in a way that honors your name and shows the world an authentic picture of who you are. And may we trust that that authentic picture has power. We love you. We thank you for the courage you displayed going head to head with the mightiest nation on earth, unintimidated, unafraid, unashamed. God, may we follow in your footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.
God, that is our heart's desire, that you alone, that we call your name alone, that we look to nothing else, not to our feelings, not to other people, not to other things, that we look alone to you. Because you are God, you are King, you are the Savior of the world. And you came for each and every one of us. I pray that we would look to you today for salvation, for hope, for joy, for peace, for love and grace. Because you have it all for us and you've done it all. We just thank you for who you are and what you've done. And help us to go out this week in confidence that you are God and we can believe you and trust you in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out today.